Good morning, church. This morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. If you don't have your Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers in the back would love to give you one. So just raise your hand up. This morning, we are kicking off two things. First, we are kicking off the season of Advent, which we are celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ. And this is a time of waiting and longing. And it ends in a great celebration of the birth of our Messiah, where we've been yearning and expecting and, and hopefully waiting for his arrival. And as you can, you can tell, it's that season by the decorations here and even the selections of song and, and that I'm wearing red because I never wear red, but my wife picked it out this morning, even the songs in the gym, right? That's, the season is on us of Advent where we are looking forward to the coming of Christ. And it's one of my favorite times of year. To help us observe Advent, we are starting our new series, No Filter Christmas, Real Life Needs a Real Savior. And this, this series, it kind of is birthed out of, um, we were talking about how kind of with the Christmas season, we can get this idea in our heads of like what the perfect Christmas is, right? We have the perfect Christmas card. We perfectly decorate our houses. We have what a perfect Christmas on Christmas morning is when all the right people and the wrong ones don't arrive and they don't show up and we have the perfect meal. And if everything happens exactly to plan, Christmas was great. But Really, in actuality, does Christmas happen like that? No, most of it is kind of not the Christmas picture card that we send out. That's the perfect picture of everyone in the family. It's usually that picture just before or after, like we were showing, where people aren't in order, right? Some eyes are closed. Someone's not paying attention, and it's, it's messy. There's, there's divisions that come up or history from, with our families that usually approach or, or come to a head at that time, and, and it just kind of gets messy. But then if, even if you look into the Christmas story in Matthew, it's just as messy. We were talking about, maybe we go over to, to Luke. It's the prettier version of Christmas, because when you start digging into Matthew it is a no-filter Christmas. And in that mess, the greatest story that is ever told happens, and that is what Matthew is here to tell us. Because, you know, there are just some situations that there is no filter, there is no prettying up that we can do to doctor it to make it look better. I mean, check out this picture of Pastor Bob. There's just no coming back from that. And it's the exact same way in the Gospel of Matthew. So we are going to be getting into Matthew verse, chapter 1, verse 1. And as Matthew starts to tell the greatest story ever told, you would think that Matthew, in writing it, he would come up with a, like a creative hook or maybe a memorable sentence, right? I mean, you guys all understand this, right? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times, like what Hemingway wrote, or even in the Bible itself, in like Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Great stories are told with a, a thrilling hook, and we're going to be looking at what Matthew came up with. So look at Matthew 1, verse 1. This is what he says. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Boy, he's got him, right? And that just sounds exciting. Let's continue. Maybe it'll get better. 
says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Herzon, and I can see your eyes just starting to glaze over. And it goes on like that for another 15 verses. So most of us are going, a genealogy, what, what is this? Is he giving us material to filibuster the Senate? Like what, what is Matthew trying to do in giving us this genealogy? I have never heard, I have never heard anyone go, you know what, my favorite verse in the Bible is Matthew 1.10. That's never happened, ever. And so, but this is the passage that we have come on to that Matthew is saying, you know what, this is important, stop. At the very beginning, this is the first thing that I need to bring up. I mean, but if we look at our own genealogies, most of us don't really pay much attention to them either, right? I mean, let's assume that you remember your parents' name, right? And maybe your grandparents. How many of you know all eight names to your great-grandparents? Three, maybe four? Great-great-grandparents? One? Okay, we got one. We got one. Right? So we're just not very good with our own family line. Why would we go into the family line of Jesus? I mean, but even though we're not very good with our own ancestry, with our own family line, there has recently been an explosion of interest in where we come from. If you look at companies like Ancestry.com or 23andMe, millions of people are um, ordering from these companies um, tests where they take a little bit of your spit and they do a DNA sampling and, and they run some tests and you're able to find out about where you come from. And so you can go onto these websites and they'll say things like, your family story is the story that leads to you. And in some essence, that, that is true. You, you find out about where you came from and, and your family descent, and you kind of learn more about who you are, and, and my, it might help you in the direction in which you're going. I, I can't make this up. Two or a week and a half ago at Thanksgiving, um, I, have, I have an uncle. His name is, is Sean. He is a, a big man, but he's not big, too big for anyone. He is one of the most jolly people I know, Okay. Uncle Sean's in his mid-50s. Growing up, he, came, he married into our family. He comes from a broken home. Uh, he comes from a mom and two half-sisters. So he submitted one of these spit samples to Ancestry.com, and he just learned right before Thanksgiving that he had six half-siblings he had no clue existed and so he is now going, this week, going around trying to meet all of them. So he went from a family of three kids to a family of nine that he knows of. I mean, it's just amazing. So where he comes from, through his dad, all through his dad. So where he comes from is now dictating what he's doing, where he's trying to meet the rest of his family. But bringing us to the genealogy of Jesus, we need to ask, what is what is going on here? Is this just a list of names that we kind of scan through when we're trying to come up with a baby name? Or, or like, can we just skip it all together? President Eisenhower was known for saying, he regularly read through the Bible for saying, you know what, I read through the whole Bible except I skip the gene. I, give, I was given permission to skip the, the genealogies. I don't know who gave him permission, <laughs> right? But we all do the same thing. We go, oh, Matthew, I'm going to start in chapter 2. But no, Matthew wants us to pause 
and he has something for us to learn. What he is saying is this is a big deal. I mean, even back at verse 1 where he says, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Christ was not a surname for Jesus. He is making a huge declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, one that came through the king of David and through Abraham, the bloodlines. That Jesus is the one that we have waited hundreds and thousands of years for. This is like if a politician today was running and we said, you know what, this politician who's running for the presidential elect, he comes from the line of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. It is that big a deal, even though that wouldn't necessarily mean that we should vote for him. Matthew is saying this guy has come from the prophesied line of Judah. Pay attention to what we're about to say. It also brings us back to Genesis, right? Genealogy and Genesis come from the same root word where Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. In the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew's kind of saying there's the old beginning, in the beginning God created. Now this is the new beginning, the genealogy of Jesus, the beginning of the new time. Pay attention. And so many of us, again, we will submit spit samples to Ancestry.com to to learn about our family history and where we come from and and maybe even health history. So that will give us an idea of kind of how to react and respond in certain circumstances. What Matthew is wanting us to do is he is having us give one eye to the history all the way back to creation so that we can and see how he has worked so that we can have another eye focused on what he is going to do so we can know his character, know how he has responded in certain circumstances so that we can recognize his action and what he is doing in the future, in this new beginning. And so Matthew, in this chapter, walks us through the family tree. Now, I don't want you to see it as one of those family trees you might have created in fourth grade or maybe helped your little kids create where it's just a list of names. Think of it more like a photo album, okay? When I was growing up, my grandma had the room that no grandkids were allowed to come to, go into because we might mess it up. It didn't stop us. We still went in. And in this room, there was a, um, a row of photo albums, and it was organized by year, So we would pull out the photo album and start looking at it. And looking at the photo albums, we would stop and observe pictures of what? Of the ones where we recognized people. Like, wow, Uncle Bob, he he was a looker. What happened? (laughs) Right? And, And each person that we recognize and we know... There's a story behind it. We know some of the background. We know where they are in the lineup. We, we know the family history. The pictures where you don't recognize people, what do you do? Skip, right? You just keep on going. You just keep on moving. And so as we get to know more of our Bible, more of the, the family history from the Bible, the more when we read through the genealogies, those stories are going to be flashing back in your mind, and you're going to know that they were real people in real times in real places, That's why we send trips to Israel. Not because it's going to make you a better Christian, but because when you open up your Bible, you're going to be able to visualize the places where actual biblical events took place. And so Matthew walks us through this. Okay, so we we know they're real people, real places, and real times. And first, Matthew, he walks us through, and there are great heroes in this, family, in this family history, in this ancestry. There's King David, right? The very first one he brings up. The one who was a man after God's own heart. 
It almost like David couldn't speak without worshiping God, without just coming out of his mouth, right? He wrote half of the book of Psalms, and he, he always had his heart felt like in hand, in tow, ready to play a, just a worship, I'm sure it was contemporary, or I mean traditional, traditional worship song to Jesus, right? He, this is, he is the center of this family tree. Then we have Abraham. And Abraham, he was a faithful man, one that God called to, to go, to move. And Abraham's ear was always listening to God. And God would direct him and, and told him, you know what? There's, look up in the sky. There are more stars. There are, your nation, who you haven't conceived with your wife, even though you're 70, be patient. You will conceive a son. And your family will be greater than the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. Just continue to be faithful. And Abraham was. But then it's kind of downhill from there. As you continue to scan through and read through the genealogy, one thing that hits you is, this family is messed up. It is messed up. It's, it's worse than our families. I mean, there is scandal after scandal. Like Judah, who Judah, that's where they get the name, the Jews. Judah was a son of Jacob, brother to Joseph. Judah was one of the ones that forced his brother into slavery, into Egypt. And when you're reading in Genesis, you come to Genesis 38. So if, if you're on like an annual Bible reading plan, just about the first week of February, right? You're reading about Joseph and he's sent off to Egypt. And then you come to chapter 38 and it takes a chapter hiatus and tells you all about Judah. And Judah goes off so he can do what he wants to do so no one knows about it. And he ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law. And then it gets right back into Joseph. So this is the type of people that are in his family line. You have king after king who are wicked. They do what is right in their own eyes, like Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the grandson of King David. So you have King David, who is the man after God's own heart. And then you have Rehoboam two generations later. Two generations later, he is the king and the kingdom is divided because of his wickedness. And then you kind of have some just questionable. You, you wonder what are unexpected. You go, why, why are these in here? This is not normal any, for a genealogy or for any time. Um, reading through the genealogy, the one of the unexpected is that there are four women mentioned. And in this time, women just didn't have the same status in men. So it was always gone. They always, you know, directed it through the men, the lineage of men, yet there's four women mentioned? Who, who are these women? That's a natural question that come out of it. First is Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judah. Second is Rahab, a prostitute in Jericho who hid the spies of Israel. Third was Ruth, who she was a Midianite, which today we would just call a Jordanian. But the Jews, they would never associate with a Midianite, left to themselves. And then there was Bathsheba, who Bathsheba was the mistress to King David. Right? So all of these, all they have in common is they were notoriously committed, they had notoriously committed or were the suffering of disgrace. Yet these are what's in Jesus's genealogy, the Messiah, the one that, if you go, you know what, there is a family that should be perfect, should be pristine. Who should it be? It should be Jesus's. And yet this is all through it. And so it leaves us going, okay, what does this tell us? What does this mean to us? Well, first we need to, what does it mean to the original hearers that would have been reading it? 
they probably would have been of Jewish descent, either Jewish Christians or Orthodox Jews or even culturally Jewish, they would have seen the weight in the heritage because it was told in the chapter 49 of Genesis that the, or the Messianic line was going to come through Judah. So it was filling that. It was also fulfilling the King David that he would always have through his lineage, there would always be a king on the throne forever and ever. Also through Abraham that his family would be, go on to bless the nations. That's the kind of statement that Matthew is making. And so we understand that, we hear that, and as we read it, we need to go, well, what else does it say to us? And there are three things that I want us to leave here uh, um, listening and learning, okay? So the first one, the first thing that it communicates, I know this is the season of joy, right, of great hope. We're celebrating the advent of hope, but the first one is that we were hopeless, we were hopeless. We were dead in our sins. It, it puts us into place. It reminds us of where we started when, when we are left to ourselves. If you go onto Amazon today and you just type in self-help books, there will be 781,171 books that come up, right? We have spent a lot of time and energy talking about how we can help ourselves. And every one of those books, what's the general outline? Look into yourself, find what is wrong with you. The answer will, you can find in, and you can do it. You can power it. You can pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can make it happen. What Matthew is saying is left to ourselves. We can't make it happen. Spiritually, we are dead. Just like when we were studying the Beatitudes a few weeks ago, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The ones who know that we are spiritually bankrupt. And Matthew is wanting us all to know that it is the opposite message that you will hear, that you can't find it within yourself. You can't center yourself enough. You can't find what you're passionate enough. You can't find your own inner strength enough. All of this will come up short. I mean, the Apostle Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2, and this is what he says. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind." So this was us. We were like the rest of the world, dead in our trespasses and sin, unable to do it ourselves, just like Judah and Tamar, right? We might have not have committed those sins, but we have committed sins. We are slaves to our own passions. And when we look into ourselves, all we find is really a black heart. But brothers and sisters, this is some of the best news it is some of the best news that we were hopeless to ourselves because that means that the salvation that we are offered through Jesus, no one, we can't do anything to add to it. We can't do anything to destroy it or take it away. It takes the pressure off of us. This is great news that brings us great hope, that brings us to our second point. So first, we were hopeless. Second, God faithfully gives hope. So we were hopeless left to ourselves, but we worship a God who faithfully works on our behalf, giving us a great hope. And we see this 
when we read the genealogies because it points to the canon of the whole Bible. It points to a God, one God, not a God of the Old Testament and a God of the New Testament, but one God who is working, weaving his plan of grace through the entire history of mankind. I mean, we have a God who, again, created this covenant with Abraham that your your family, your family name will go on and bless all the nations of the world. The God that came to David and said, through your bloodline, there will always be a king on the throne. And we see that fulfilled in the New Testament through the gospel of Matthew, that this is God's plan and he is working it out. It doesn't matter what sin has happened, even through the bloodline of Jesus, it's not going to stop it. Our sin will not stop the salvation of Jesus. And this is great news, great news. And so the very start of Matthew, he focuses on the faithfulness of God. And this is a strong illustration of God's love and faithfulness and offering of hope to us. No matter the selfishness, the pain, the hurt that any of us have ever experienced by our own actions or the actions of others, nothing can take away. And this has to get us tremendously excited more excited than the presents we're going to receive on Christmas morning or the decorations or the carols we sing or the ugly sweaters we wear, right? This, on Christmas, this, this is what it's all about, that we have a God who is, has worked for us and he has worked faithfully to offer us hope and lastly, through his son, Jesus, because all hope rests in Jesus. So we were hopeless. We have a God who faithfully works to offer us hope. And that hope comes through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the culmination of God's plan. It is plan A, B, C, all the way to Z. It is, it is his plan. It is the pinnacle of what God has for us to have hope, fulfilling it in the Abrahamic covenant that his family would bless the nations. And so when we put our faith, our hope in Jesus, guess what family we become a part of? We become a part of God's family. We are adopted into his family. Look at what... Um, Look what it's talked about in Galatians chapter three with me, where Paul talks about this. He says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God and daughters through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So when I hear that, it's not a mistake that Jesus' bloodline has everyone, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, hero, the unfaithful, the, the no one's perfect, but the sinners, because we are all in that sinner's group. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we are entered into that family. Warning. This family is not normal. Just look around. I'm just kidding. Look up here. (laughs) This family is not normal. This is not a normal family. Because of Jesus, we are deeply rooted in his family. And he calls us, again, back to that Abrahamic covenant, to bless what? The nations. To be a blessing to each other. To be looking to bless not just ourselves, but people outside of these walls. And we, we see this 
I mean, parents, start with your own kids. Start with who are, who's close to you. At church, we love to celebrate vanilla testimonies. Because what that means is that either parents or grandparents or someone close to our high schoolers and junior hires and our children are faithfully praying and telling them about the good news of Jesus because it saved them before they had the wretched story of hurt and trouble and pain before they came to Jesus. Vanilla testimonies, amen. Praise God for vanilla testimonies. And parents, keep up the fight. I know it's hard. But if you, and if you're not a parent, if you're in school, start with your peers or your teachers. If you're at work, start with that coworker that confided in you this week. Start praying for them. We all have different spheres in our life where we can look to bless outside of these walls, outside of the church. And you know, it might start with your family this Christmas because we know that your earthly family, a lot of them, sometimes they aren't all saved. I know many for you, that's the case. And that's how we go about blessing the nation as we share about Christ. And so throw we, we were hopeless, but we have a God who faithfully works on our behalf we, and Christ is our hope. There is great reconciliation with that. I saw that in my own family tree. Getting ready for this sermon, it got me um, a little more interested in my own ancestral line. So I, I called up the family historian, Lori Pope, and she had a great wealth of knowledge, more than I could ever get to. Does anyone have a family historian? Anyone else in here? Anyway, I called her up and she was more than willing to tell me uh, more than I wanted to know. I, it was great. So in one of my family lines, there was a reverend, Reverend Herkhart. Okay, he was in Scotland in 19, or 1740. He finished his seminary and he got called to do a um, parishioner, a church in Maine. He was already married to a lady named Jane, had one daughter. He left his daughter and Jane in Scotland, said he would send for her, went to Maine. And when he got to his new church, he told his parishioners he was a widower. So a good looking pastor, what do you think happened? He took up another wife and started having kids. And Jane, back in Scotland, got tired of waiting for him. So she got on a boat and went to America to track him down, found him in Maine and almost beat him half to death. <laughs> the authorities had to get involved. And it wasn't until um, a judge ruled that she could keep the family farm, that he could be mar stay married to his second wife. Of course, he lost his church, moved up to Canada, and the rest, I guess, is history. That is juxtaposed in the same line of the family tree that the last nine generations have been Christ followers. So in the same family line where there's been this division and betrayal, later on have been saved by grace through Jesus. All I know is that Jesus has the power to do that. Jesus is the only one that has the power to do that. And as we are followers of Jesus, we are to bless the nations. And so this Christmas season, I just want to ask you, find your hope in Jesus. Find your true hope. Get it. That's what we need to be getting excited about. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our church family. And we thank you for our extended earthly families, Lord. I, I pray that they are followers of you because we are hopeless left to ourselves. But you are a God who faithfully works to give us hope. We thank you that we can find our hope in Jesus. Help us to get excited about Jesus, about his coming, with the, and we are looking through the lenses of Easter, Lord, this Advent season. And so we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.